Hello, this is Dorinda Bansal and welcome to We Found Love in the 80s. The third couple featured in this podcast are a London-based couple called Anne and Marius who were born and raised in South Africa. They met in the seventh grade at school and they were the best of friends throughout school and university. Anne had her boyfriends and Mark had his girlfriends and they would cry on each other's shoulder when things went wrong. They were best friends for 12 years until one day Marius realised that his perfect partner was right in front of him. So he proposed to Anne and they got married on the 1st of January 1986. They talk about growing up in 1980s South Africa during the apartheid and for them friendship has been the cornerstone of their relationship, it's been the base and the strength of their relationship. Anne and Marius they speak really openly about overcoming financial difficulties and hardship and they also have such an interesting perspective on embracing adversity. The audio for these interviews is taken from a film that we've made, so it's a slightly different format than a regular podcast. You'll hear me asking questions, but mostly we just allowed the couples to talk quite freely amongst themselves. So here they are, Anne and Marius. How we met, I can vividly remember it. It was a summer's afternoon summer's day afternoon and it was um yeah it was like april here so it was september then the southern hemisphere and we both belonged to a music school we were both in junior school and the music school decided to do mozart's silver flute at that point and they selected the music students to perform this concert, this musical. Was it a musical? It was a musical, yeah. I can't remember. I just know it was Silver Flute. And I had a tiny, tiny part. My part was Mozart's wife. No, right? not Mozart's wife. <laughs> You'd be so lucky. <laughs> you were my wife. We were Mozart's parents. So. Yeah. Mozart's parents. <laughs> So we had little Mozart in the cradle. <laughs> so it, was, it was awkward. I haven't met. I've met him. You know, in year in year seven, you sort of very um, yeah, girls sort of something new. You're starting to move closer to girls, but you're still very sort of. Uh, what is the species? Yeah, yeah, you don't know how to approach him, and um, yeah. So here's this. Girl, I've met her for the first time. Now we have to sit tight next to each other. We're sharing a baby, which is the doll <laughs> in this cradle, and I have to sort of look interested and touch her. And <laughs> God, wow. remember that? Yeah, I do. It's quite awkward. <laughs> I can just remember. I arrived at the hall where the concert was going to take place, and there was a row of boys behind behind me sitting behind yeah. me and I turned around and I saw the stranger because we're in different schools at that point and later on we were called up the stage and the stranger I saw right behind me was Mozart's father my partner for for the show, for the show. <laughs> so yeah that was um that was quite interesting very awkward very interesting but that helped us when we started the senior school we knew each other we were yeah. at the same senior school. So yeah, we started... it was literally like four or three months later, we started senior school. And uh, 
we were in the same class, exact same class, and uh, we knew each other. So it was some sort of it was easy. connection. Yes, yeah, that it was, was so easy. easy. So throughout the senior school, our friendship just grew, and we were biggest friends, yeah. house friends. Yeah, I was like a friend. child in the home. Yeah, yeah. It was really good friends. She had a boyfriend, so I had my girlfriends, and we chatted, and we sort yeah. of. Big, cried on each buddy. other's shoulders and you know we just and we could talk about everything yeah 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 so that was school and then we went to uni and after the you, 80s yeah. the 80s yeah we finished school 79 so year starts the 80s 80s yeah the 80s the 80s were quite it was wild wild hey. and interesting yeah i think you know just thinking that um we were the babies of the baby boomers yeah. Yeah, we were born in '61, both of us. So um, yeah, so '80s baby boomers children. So we had something to live up to, and the '70s was, in my mind, sort of meek and mild. You know, it was after a while. '60s has come down to a plateau, and then the '80s, and it was so wild in the sense of fashion. You know, the the wonderful big hair and uh, everything was. It was start of of the the um, aerobics and the. Yes, I had yellow shoes, green shoes, pink shoes, turquoise shoes, and matching handbags, clutch bags to go with it. <laughs> it was these bright, vivid colors, and everything was just so different than the 70s. 70s were brown the and drab, drab yeah. and 80s were just wonderful. I think it was challenging because the 80s was, it were, you know, you had AIDS, you had a lot of drugs coming onto the scene, yeah. which we didn't know yeah. about in the 70s. So. Yeah. yeah, it was challenging, but a wonderful time to start our life out at uni, really. Yeah, to start at uni. So we went to uni, totally different cities. Um, I went to Pretoria, he went to Joburg, and um, yeah, he came and he visited me. We, we attended shows together. I still had my boyfriend at that point, and he had his girlfriends going on. But we were close friends, really good friends. And then... Uh, was there anything you wanted to say? Yeah, I wanted to say because we, we enjoyed each other's company. So we went out a lot. And then um, one weekend I dragged her to Sun City, which was a, it was a place that was because of apartheid. Um, this was established, was a, a place where you could gamble. Gambling was not allowed in South Africa, but because this was in sort of a neighboring Country. state, yeah. um, it was allowed. So, But it was like an hour and a half drive from Johannesburg, so yes. it was easy to get there. So I took her there to watch a show, and we just spent time there. And we she had an underwater oh, hockey man. game that morning, the next day. We drove six o'clock. We started back from Sun City the to morning, yeah. drop her off in Pretoria. And you were, were you late? I got there, I got into the, my swimming, my bathing costume, and I got dressed. And this was national championships between the unis. Now that's underwater hockey, and you really have to have stamina. You've got to be very well resourced within. I didn't have. I didn't bat an eye wink. I didn't bat an eye. <laughs> it was just... Uh, I couldn't stay underwater. I just couldn't. I was just too tired because I had yeah. to go with my friend to see... I think it was then Shanana. Yeah, we, I think we Some went to see Shanana or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah, and, so. yeah, but we did these crazy things together and it was fun. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 
Yeah. I remember the one time we went, uh, remember I had a little Beetle, um, oh, a 1963 model, and I fixed it. And then we wanted to go to Durban to visit my brother. And um, that's a six hour drive. Yeah, six hour drive. And the car has broken down, the thrust bearing didn't work properly. And uh, we said, okay, let's fix it. My bro other brother and I, we took the engine out. It's easy with the Beetle, it's just four bolts. You pull it out onto a tire, put the bearing in, in the engine, and down we went to Durban. She was going along. So I took her along, and we had the most fabulous time in Durban with the little Beetle. <laughs> So as friends, we did all these crazy things. Yeah. And then my last year at uni, I met somebody. And um, because this guy never made a move further than friendship, I met this guy and I said, okay. He asked me to marry him and I said, yes, sure. Why, sp why spoil a good friendship? Yeah, why spoil a good friendship? So I got married. And um, a year and seven months later, we got a divorce. It didn't work out. Um, Yes, and the first shoulder I turned to was obviously my best friend. And he supported me throughout the whole divorce, went with me to the court and helped me to get through it, helped me to move towns, cities, set me up with a friend of his in his flat. Um, that was awkward. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in that time, I thought, okay, I'm in Joburg now, I'm, I'm where Marius is and I'll see a lot of him, but he disappeared. He just vanished off the scene. And there I was, recovering from a divorce. No friend. He just disappeared. So eventually I moved and I got a place of my own and started my social life, started again. And, and one day I got home after a weekend that I went away. And I got a note. My flatmate said, no, um, Marius was here. Here's a note. And on the note it said, I visited you. If you're interested, you're welcome to come and visit me again. So? Yeah, I didn't disappear, but, uh, you know, I thought... You don't have to explain. No, I, <laughs> I thought I will give you space to get over your divorce because, I don't know, you know, maybe she just needs a bit of space. And uh, So, um, yeah, and then uh, one weekend I was house-sitting. As a student, you do all these odd jobs and um, just to make some money. And uh, when I was sitting there and I thought, you know, some of my friends were starting to thinking and talking about getting married. And I thought, oh gosh, um, what would my ideal partner look like? And I started to make a list. And then she ticked all the boxes. I thought, she's right in front of me. I've never realized this woman is actually the ideal partner. So yeah, I went to her flat and left her note because she wasn't there for the she was, I knew she was going out with a lot of men and I started to get panicky because she, she, she married once and she might marry again, I might miss out this time. So I said, yeah, so I said, please, if you want to see me. So two days later, I got in the car, got a lot of snacks for, for him and his friends because he was studying and it was exam time and arrived at the flat and the, it was really like a five minute pop in. Hi, Mark. Hi, guys. Here, here's some snacks for you. And it's like five minutes. And I said, OK, I see you really studying, writing tomorrow. And I went to the door and he said, hey, hang on, I'll walk with you. OK, sure. But don't you want to study? No, no. OK. Came to the, 
to the car and he said, oh, can I get into the car with you? I said, yeah, sure. He got into the car next to me. There he sits. I'm sitting in front of the steering wheel there. He sits. I said, okay. Um, he looked at me. He said, let's get married. I said, what? I said, okay. will you marry me? Yeah. yeah well, yeah. yeah. I yeah. said, will you marry me? And, and what did I say? He looked at me. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't even have a doubt. I thought she's going to say, where do you come from? What's this now? She looked at me. Sure. When? Next question was when, because I like to plan things and have <laughs> things and my duck in a row, ducks in a row. And he said, next week, let's run away. Yeah, I thought this would be a very romantic <laughs> running away. <laughs> I said, no, uh, writing exams, you, we can't run away. And what would your parents say? And what would my parents say? And all those things. And then we decided, okay, we planned it very well. December, three months later, we got married. Obviously. Yeah. It's still very quick, but um, we got married yeah. three months later. It was so funny because, you know, in those days when you get married so quickly, uh, everyone thought there's a baby coming. <laughs> and yeah. everyone watched yeah. and watched and watched. For six years, no babies came. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's how the journey started. So we got married 31st of December, 85, 11 o'clock at night during the church service. Because his dad is also a, he's a reverend. He's a reverend. Yeah. So we went to the church service eleven o'clock at night. Came out, married, husband and wife, the first of January eighty six. Yeah. Yeah. So is... New Year's always very special for us. Yeah. It's a celebration yeah. not only of New Year, but of our marriage, of our life yeah. together. Yeah. Always special. And that's how it started. Well, that was one of the milestones. Yeah. Yeah, it's a long sort of... By then, we've known each other for 12 years. So that was quite a long journey. Yeah, I think we, you know, for us, it was a question of uh, our marriage was based on friendship, trust and um, mutual support. support. Yeah. And it was a no-brainer. Um, you know, you can fall romantically in love, head over heels, and then find out six months down the line it doesn't work because you're yeah. incompatible and... So this was such a good basis, foundation to start the, the marriage on. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I remember holding hands after we decided to get married. It was quite awkward. Hey. Well, it's because now you move from friends to sort of lovers. Yeah, <laughs> it was supposed quite, to be. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was All awkward. of a sudden you're aware of your space. Yeah. You know? It was never a problem to have. Uh, you know, to close, be close to uh, one now, another. Now, now you're you... close with intention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, but um, yeah, it, it's, it was amazing in the sense that in the end, all the other stuff comes, the romantic love, the passion, yeah. everything comes when your foundation is yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, that's quite interesting. So we moved on, finished uni, got married, he was still studying at that point, and then we bought a house, he got a job, and we had that little letter, I think it's when he got his first job. Yeah, yeah, I took yeah. my first job in Johannesburg, and yeah, it was very exciting. And then um, we were living in the city, and, and it was hectic in the sense of, it was these long hours, and oh. you know, she had to leave 
course, we were living in Pretoria oh, then, and she had to drive to Johannesburg and get up at leave the house at six. Otherwise, you get traffic. And yeah. coming back home at eight at night, and then you eat something quickly, watch the news, and you go to bed, and same thing all over and over. But you know, now that we're here, that's that's the that, story. That is what it is. But, but we, then it was not. I mean, it was in the eighties. It was still. It's rural, and yeah. it's. Yeah, we grew up fairly rural. Hey? Yeah, we did. Yeah, so, so yeah, so when the sun sets, you're at home, and you don't leave the house before yeah. the sun is up. <laughs> and here it was dark to dark, and then one day he said he was going to work. What happened? Yeah, I, I was driving to work, and it's this long drive, and um, I've got this friend that nagged me, and he said, "Come, move to the Cape, move to Cape Town." Um, it's lovely and I said it's relaxed and everything but there's no money in Cape Town and, um, and then I was driving to work and I thought to myself you know what I don't want to live this life that we're living at it's not it's going yeah. to kill us we want to start a family and I don't want to start it here and then um, we decided to move and it was for us a big move because it was away from family was away from good jobs she had an excellent job um, in Johannesburg and uh, yeah, she had to leave her job and we weren't sure whether it's going to work financially, yeah. whatever. But yeah. we were young and we were prepared to take the risk. I think, I think for me that was a huge sacrifice because I was on my way with a career la ladder, a corporate mm. environment and I knew where I was going to, I knew what the next steps were and... My path was open up. It was there for me. Uh, yeah. Okay. That he might have experienced. Did you get? Did you go in? Go to any concerts of British artists, or was there anything? Any what? What was the connection to the UK at that point? In the eighties. Uh, in the eighties, yeah. Yeah. yeah it it uh, music um, and and because South Africa was an English colony. Um, it was quite a, uh, the news, everything was quite, it was saturated with British news, more so, we, so than, than, than US yes. news or yes. any other country. So anything that happened in the, the, in, 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 in the UK was sort of news in South Africa. So we knew about everything that happened in the, in the UK. We knew about, um, I mean the royals, everything. We we watch it. We watch the royal wedding, everything. You know that first Ooh. one, which oh, we were like glued. I mean, so the it, whole uni came to stand still with Diana's and South Prince Africa Charles came wedding. to a standstill with the royal wedding. I can promise yeah. you, everyone was into it. You know, and and so <laughs> the UK was always it's 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 the mothership. Yeah, you know, it's it's like it's, yeah, it's like a it's like a grandfather. Yeah. You know, it's it's part of you. You might know not know it so well, but it's always been part yeah. of South Africa in the background and we always had a yearning to to discover the UK. What's it about? Because it's part of our history. Our laws it's based on the yeah. British laws in South Africa. Our, Where we drive. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean our second language was English. We had so to take English as a language. You, you couldn't pass It's compulsory. Yeah, so, school without yeah, having English. Yes. Yeah, so. so there were loads of links that you knew were there to the UK. And 
Yeah, the history is so thick in South Africa yeah. with being a, a colonial state. Yeah. Yeah. And it was yeah. there, it's underlying, yeah. We, but we didn't understand it because we didn't have internet and Google and those no, kind of things. No, you couldn't, yeah. yeah. But we, we loved history and uh, listened to the stories that our parents would tell us uh, about the British. Oh, and yeah. About, when, when How they was, waved their little flags when the oh, Queen came around. and would tell that story so many times we got fed up with it because she was she was like when, when the Queen became Queen, just before she came Queen, they visited South Africa and she was like 21, how old was she? I can't remember. My mum was like 15 years old. So for her, this was, this as a teenage girl, that was the ultimate, this royal princess. And they came to South Africa and um, she was waiting alongside the road to see this princess. And she would tell us how she looked and what she was wearing and how incredible it was. It was for her the biggest treat. And the loveliest thing was, um, I'm getting emotional now, because three years ago, she was 85. She said she wants to come to the UK. Oh, yes. And um, <laughs> we got her here. She came on her own. Nobody is first time, first ever, time ever flying abroad. overseas. Yeah, she came on the amazing. plane. We could fetch her at the airport, and we took her all away, all around. And then we took her to Windsor one weekend, and um, we could see the Queen um, in Windsor. We just saw it driving along in in a car. But my mom was for her was this sort of reconnection back into that princess and now the queen and she could see it for her it was everything it was yeah. just so amazing yeah. yeah it was lovely yeah yeah now we had a sort of a, we were sort of i don't want to say um what's the word um i'm bad. oh glorify we we almost adore glorify the royals yeah. it was like yeah. like like gods to us it was really because we had no knowledge we couldn't see them we couldn't but they were there and they were the royals the royals of the world really because we didn't know any others really yeah. and um, for us it was so glorious so incredible just to read anything and see pictures of them was really yeah, something yeah yeah, With yeah. The magazines every yes oh yes yeah, yeah we got not british magazines no, no because it was in the time of apartheid so we had a lot of um uh, all media was sort of um yeah the the ties were cut yeah. very strictly between us and the rest of the world because of apartheid um it was quite harsh, yes. Yeah, it was all yes. these sanctions going on. So we were, a lot of artists wouldn't come out to South Africa yeah. because of yeah. what was happening yeah. there. So we were sort of, if anything, if anyone came to South Africa. It was a big thing. It was a big yeah. thing and we just made sure we were there and yeah. saw this show, this musical or whatever. And yeah. You know, one, one thing of the 80s, I can remember Wham, Boy George, um, Rod Stewart, oh, those yeah. are the big ones. Um, Queen. Queen, oh, obviously Queen. My, my children, our children loves Queen. Yeah. Oh, man, they grew up with Queen. Yeah, all the, I think all the artists, the music especially, yeah. um, 
yeah, it's a big impression that it's made on us. I remember I was still at school, I think in my last year in the secondary school, and my dad bought me a, a double LP, a British, what's it? The best of the British yeah. music. Hippie, hippie, shame. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, he gets embarrassed. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, it's it's the British music. I grew up on Moody Blues and um, The Who. That was, I mean, they were in the 60s and 70s, but my older brother, that's what he listened to. And I can, you know, the Moody Blues songs, I still, I said to the other day, I wake up at night and I've got a Moody Blues song in my head. So, yeah. So yeah, the British were always part of of who we were yeah. in South Africa. It was it was never. Uh, it's not like Russia or America. We we had no interest in America. I never had any desire even to go to America just for a visit, just no. to tour. Never ever. So we were lucky yeah. in 1993. We had these friends. Um, after we moved town and we we had our kids. They were still small. I mean, the baby was eight months old. And they said, let's go away for three weeks. Let's tour the world. And we said, yes, let's tour the world. It's like, you weren't allowed to travel much at that no, point. No, a lot of countries were not allowed. You couldn't go into the countries. You couldn't get in with a South African passport yeah. because of sanctions. Now, there's a whole other story behind this because people see your color of your skin and they hear South African and they immediately say, oh, you're a racist, you know, that kind of built-in yeah. thing is there. But they don't know what went on behind the scenes and how yeah. people fought against it. I mean, his dad was expelled from, from the church because he fought against apartheid, him and Bayes Nodia and all those people. But there's sort of a stereotype to think that if you're that color and you come from that country, that is who you are. But that's not the truth. But anyway, um, that was just a side note. Where was I? Coming to the UK on our first visit. All oh, right. Yeah. So we're going to visit Paris. France and Italy. Venice. And what was that? Florence. Yeah. And London. And Scotland. And Scotland. Oh, we just touched on Scotland. St. Andrews. Um, three weeks and we planned our own trip and we booked our own hotels and we booked our own train trips and it was just unbelievable the world out there it was just if you haven't experienced anything like that in your life before from one culture country to really the history the old the the foundations of the world, to go to that, you know, it's like you've been born out of that and put here in the south and now the opportunity to go back and to experience it, it was just mind-blowing. So we arrived in London, that was the last leg. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we've been to Italy and France and when we arrived in London, we said, this is home. It felt like home. We said, It just felt like home. It's just, this is natural. We feel like home. This, this... This, we can see where we are rooted. We can see where we come from. Yeah. This, this yeah. is home. And, and, you know. and it was almost, oh, it's not, it doesn't feel so much different from South Africa. It's home. But it's not like France and Italy. This is more home, you know. It's like yeah. coming back to yeah, mama. We fell at home. Yeah, it, it's, we fell at home. Yeah. It's like, 
you know, a distant family member and you meet up finally and you say, yeah, I can see we are family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was amazing. So that was 1993. Yeah, and that's, yeah. When our friends made plans to come here, we couldn't. Financially, we couldn't afford to come. But we said one day. Yeah, one day we would love to go. And that's that. Yeah, and then in many years later, in 2004, I decided to come here to do a oh, yes. bridging course so that I can practice here in the UK, doing my job. And um, so I was here for six weeks. And it was, I was staying at the YMCA in... Um, You're getting emotional. Yeah, I am. Because it was, you know what, coming to the UK, I was here on my own. And it was just so, gosh, I, I, I'm a runner. So I put on my running shoes and I would run London. I would just run into the streets. Where did you live? In Euston? No, no, in, in uh, YMCA in Barbican. It's not there anymore. I think they've turned the building nice into flats. flats or something. But And I would just come home from class and put on my running shoes and just take her on this way, take her on that way. And for six weeks, I just absorbed London. It got into my blood. And when I got home, I said, that's it. We have to go there. I, I just have to go there. And at night, I would wake up, I would hear the sound of London. And I said, I want to go back. And I would say, sit sometimes and people say, what do you think? I said, I miss London. I was homesick. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but then our kids were at senior school. We couldn't come oh, at that yeah. stage. It was yeah. just a very difficult time. And then they went to uni. And then eventually um, we... Uh, could our kids were out of the home and we said okay now's the time um, my job that i had ended uh abruptly and we said okay where do we go now and we said so that was five years ago yeah five years and about three months because it <laughs> took us three months to get over and it's actually very difficult to come over if you're not from the eu so it took us three months to get over once we've made a decision yeah we got sponsorship and um, he got sponsorship somebody uh, actually changed internally in in the business to be able to sponsor him to come across and three months later he was here i had to pack up a whole lifetime on the other yeah. side yeah um, we came with suitcases. So it was the same when, when we moved to Robertson. He he went to Robertson six months before me. And I could cut my ties where I worked my job and make the sacrifice to go and support him in his new career, a new job. And the same happened here again. Um, we cut the ties there. We had to pack up everything. The children inherited all their stuff that they were going to inherit once we did. So we had everything ready for them there and we came over with two suitcases each he came how many months six weeks before me yeah i came yeah six, six weeks, weeks before, before me. me um he arrived and he started work and i had six six weeks to pack up everything there and say goodbye and change my life yeah. from one country to another country yeah yeah that was, I, it, that was, it, it was tough because um Coming from South Africa, where the rand is very weak against the pound, um, coming here and everything to us was extremely expensive. Oh, you know, it was. But we said, 
it's worth it. It's worth it. And we just put our heads down and, and really we enjoyed even the hard times we had <laughs> in the beginning when we, we went to we went to Morrison's. I'm not supposed to say no, but no, we, no. Would, we, we would go to the grocery stores and then... Uh, when had, they marked down the food, I would stand in the queue for two hours, three food. hours just to be able to buy something because we only had 20 pounds a week for food, for spending, for wine, for everything. So if you had wine that week, you could buy wine for five pounds. <laughs> <laughs> then you only have money, 15 pounds for food that week. And we would go and visit London. and All the free things. With all the, yeah, yeah, only the free, free things and walk and walk and walk to save on transport money and things like that. But it was fun. We were really food poor in the beginning <laughs> because we couldn't open a bank account. Um, we didn't have, yeah, a track record. We, we, there was just nothing in our money. We spent so much money to come over because you have to pay in advance for your NHS. You have to pay for all these things. It just cost a fortune when you convert it into rands. And, uh, but we made it and it's good. It's good. It's good to be in a food poor position. Sometimes I didn't eat so that he could eat. Um, just to make that sacrifice. I volunteered. Um, so I rationed myself to three biscuits a day. You know, when you go and volunteer, you know you can maybe get a slice of toast there. <laughs> it was, and it's fun because you know it's for a, a period of time. It will pass. And yeah. But it was good. It was good. I mean, the UK has only been good oh, to us. It's, it's so just, generous to us. It, uh, everything, our furniture, everything, people just gave us stuff. We just found yeah. stuff. And it was just, yeah. I mean. Charity shops. You can buy clothes at charity shops for two, three, nothing. four pounds. I mean. Yeah. It's, I've just got a question for you, actually. Yeah. About, like the adversity bit. So. Because that sounds like it was quite a difficult time. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. what's your, you know, you're thinking about, you know, giving someone advice about overcoming adversity in, in like starting, because you basically started yeah. it, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. But something serious propelled that from what I can gather. He, he earned, he got a very good income. Yeah. He yeah. came over on a very good income. Yeah. Yeah. But we had to turn every penny because we knew we wanted to buy a house and we only had a limited time period that we could do it in. So we had to save every penny that we could. We can't just go for coffee. That's out of the question. We have a short period of time to pay our mortgage because you only have X number of years. So we're so conscious. We've got such a strict budget. He gets fed up with me. Uh, it really gets fed up with me. <laughs> but I just say, you know what, let's think about, we want to retire one day. We are in this fortunate position we could buy a house. But we could only do it because we counted every penny. We knew every penny. When I sat with the people that did the mortgage, she said, what is your budget? And I started saying, okay, this is this, 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 this. She looked at me, she said, wow, do you know that off heart? I said, yes, my darling, I've got to know it. Also, how am I going to buy a house how can we afford a house so i think this country is so generous you've got the charity shops you've got the food that's marked down you've got all the food hubs the food stalls and if you think about green living you don't have to waste money you don't you can recycle you can upcycle there's just 
you don't have to waste money and it's nobody will frown upon you when you when you recycle upcycle things it's good for the environment so we are in such a good fortunate position i just said this country is so generous it's just an amazing place yeah yeah fortunate. overcoming overcoming hardship is something you do together yeah i mean i don't think i would have survived life quite on my own because you know it's when you stand together, when you yeah. suffer together, it's it's actually amazing how you grow together because that makes you grow. Um, that makes you tighter together. And it's it sacrifices both ways. Like she said, she, sometimes she went without food. Um, it's a sacrifice she made um, so that I can have something and to make my journey a bit easier and other stuff I sacrifice so that her journey can be easier. So it's a... It's a give and take, and um, hardship comes to everyone. Yeah. And it's the way you look at half hardship. You can tell yourself, okay, this is going to kill me, it's going to bury me, or this is going to fall me, and I will become better, and I will go through this and become a better person and achieve whatever I have to achieve. So it's a way, it's it's opportunity. And we look at this hardship and say, well, this is our opportunity. Yeah. And we have to work at this opportunity. We've got the opportunity. Not everyone has this opportunity. Yeah. Um, and often, you know, you just look at the hardship and not what's lying ahead. What, yeah. what, what can you gain from yeah. this hardship? Um, so many hardships, so many things that happen in our lives. Um, I once fell from a roof. Um, uh, I was in my 40s. And 2008. 2008. And oh, man. I was broken on the whole one side. I couldn't work for a year. I was in a wheelchair. I, you know, and I could have looked at that and said, oh, this is hopeless. I will never work again. I, you know, you could look at it in a negative way. And she nursed me through all of that. We got through that. And... Um, Looking back at that, I said, I'm so happy that happened because it taught me a lot about myself. It taught me a lot about our relationship. It taught me a lot about um, how other people suffer in their hardship. For instance, being in a wheelchair, people look at you as if you're stupid. Um, they they would, talk loud to you. Yeah, or, or they would <laughs> ask, her, so what's wrong with him? I mean, I've got a brain. <laughs> Things like that. And it made me understand that what people has to go through. I went from uh, bedridden to wheelchair to these Zimmer walkers to crutches and eventually nothing. Whereas other people go from crutches eventually to being bedridden. I've got an understanding for that process. And, you know, if I see someone with a Zimmer, I know exactly what it is. If I see someone that's bedridden, I think, oh my gosh, that was hell for me. How will it, how, how are you coping? So you've got a compassion for that. And yeah, yeah it forms you, it makes you richer, it makes you, yeah, grow. It, it, yeah, it's important. Hardships are important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but but it can push you away if you don't have a solid foundation or something that anchors you together. I think what helped us is we had sport together. So the day you fell off the roof is we went, because we did biathlon at that stage, we started biathlon at the age of 42, 42. started to learn to swim. 
together. So we had this German guy who taught us to swim. And <laughs> in the pool one day, he said, he said to Maurice, he said, you must think, man. Think, you must think. And I'm thinking, because I struggle with swimming, and I feel... He's I'm, a good runner, but he's not a good swimmer. So I'm drowning. I'm already <laughs> below the water level, it feels to me. And he says, you must think, you must think. And <laughs> he was saying, you must think, but the Germans struggle to say think. You must think, you must think. So he's pushing himself deeper and deeper in the water because this guy is shouting from the side, you must think, you must think. So, yeah. So, so we did <laughs> we did biathlon we did comrades together we did ultra marathons together and it's it's spending that time together and suffer together in a good way because running is suffering it's not it's not nice to it's run fun. it's it's fun but you suffer um, it's good when you finish yeah. that so for us that was a binding factor and we knew each other's strengths and weaknesses throughout the years we found it out i mean i started running uh, he, just after we got married, he took me out for a run, two Ks. I had to walk the two Ks. I couldn't breathe. He was training to do a, a, a trip of 600 kilometers, um, a relay trip. And here I am, can barely do two kilometers. Yeah, she she couldn't run yeah. for her life. No, I'm, I'm a swimmer. I'm not a runner. Yeah. So I said, come on, come on. And and eventually she started running and she started joining a running group at her work and yeah. it went well. So we started to train for Comrades. So Comrades is the ultra marathon in, in South, South Africa. Africa yeah. It's world known as well. And I mean, you can run races, you can do marathons, but if you haven't done the Comrades, you haven't arrived. That's the one you have to do. So we trained for this months and you have to qualify, you have to run a qualifying oh. race and oh gosh. And uh, it was it was a lot of training and and, and So it's ninety kilometers, eighty-nine point five or seven. Yeah, yeah, and you have there's a cut of time. You have to make it within eleven hours. I think they've upped it now to twelve hours. And if you don't make it, you don't get a medal. So that's that's it. So you want to make it. You want to get your medal. Um, because why did you suffer for a whole year training, training, training? That's what you want. So we trained. We were ready. We got everything arrived there early. And um, He's super fit because he's in the army. So he's super fit. He wants to go for the silver medal. Yeah, I want to go. This is, I think, six hours. No, silver medal is eight hours, below eight hours. Okay, below eight yeah. hours. So uh, <laughs> I said, I'll run with you. We'll just make sure you finish. So we were aiming for about 10 hours. Um, uh, I wanted to come in between 9 and 10, but I said, if we come in at 10, that, that will be fine. Um, just as long as it's be far below 11. I don't want to push it at the end. And then when we started running, she started, she had tummy cramps and then diarrhea and she had to stop every now and again. And we were wasting time. I looked at the... <laughs> I have to get going and then, you know, I just pushed her and pushed her and then she would walk. I said, come on, Annie, we can't walk now. Let's just run another kilometer and then you can walk a bit. And then, you know, so I just pushed so, her along. And so when we arrived um, at the stadium at the finish, she was very poorly she was really dehydrated and um, I, mean, the world, the world I didn't realize how bad she was but um, when we came around the bend 
and the finish was in front of this banner and everything, uh, she saw that and her brain said, end. But just, the best of all is the finish was there and there was the guy with the gun to yeah, say the cutoff time is I'm now. coming to that. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so when she came around the bend, she saw the finish line and she just fell down. She just said, collapsed. She said, I'm done. <laughs> it was this guy because now because of the, all the time we wasted and stopping for toilet breaks and whatever, it was now 10.59. There were seconds left. And the guy at the end of the time, at the 11 hours, he shoots the gun to tell you after that you can't get a medal. And he was already standing, pointing the gun, gun upwards. I saw the gun. I thought, oh, my gosh. And um, I just pulled up. I said, come on. And I did use a few swear words and said, well, don't come this way to stop now. And um, I picked her up and said, let's go. And I just dragged her over the finish line. As we fell over the line, the gun went. Yeah, that was close. It but, was like, yeah. But that's, that was sort of how our relationship is. We will yeah. carry one another. Yeah, we, we will can. be there. Yeah. Times are tough sometimes and it's not always easy. Yeah. Yeah, any relationship will have yeah. tough times. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, it's 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 not about you all the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Well, that's one of my questions actually, which is like, what do you think the secret is keeping your relationship going all these years? Yeah, you know, there's a thing called unconditional love, which is one of the most <laughs> difficult things I think is to love someone not because of but in spite of you know you can love someone because they lovely because they do all these things because they've got a great personality but to love one in spite of their weaknesses in spite of what they do that infuriates you or pisses you off or whatever that's a difficult one in spite of and um, if you can love in spite of and that's not you don't come first. You put the other one first and said, I will love you. doesn't matter if you do this. Um, we will have a discussion about it, but I will still love you. And um, I think that's a secret. You have to give a bit from yourself. Because if you love just because, it will stop. These days, marriages just stop because people can't love other people in spite of. I think it's important to have core values that also overlap so yeah. that you have the yeah, same yeah. core values. There's got to be points where you say, this is our belief system, this is what we do together, um, this is why we do it, and to have that space for that. Yeah. And I think it's also very important in a relationship, in a kind of relationship, especially when you partners, is to have space for one another to grow. You have your interests and activities to carry on. So Mark always played piano. Um, that's one of his loves. He loves cooking. He's an amazing chef. He's really amazing. Thank you. I, I don't like the kitchen. I really don't like the kitchen. So I'll go and clean up 
And nowadays I say, listen, you must work clean. I don't want to come and clean up after you. But yeah, that's for him. That's his space. That's his therapy. And me, for me, it's reading. For me, it's working. For me, it's doing things that excites me. It's photos. It's, yeah. So it's to have that kind of space. It's, for me, it's to study. Yeah. Yeah. So, but to understand that. It's that give and take. And yeah. I always say give and take, but what give and take? It's the give and take of you have a space together and you have space separate. Yeah. Make sure that your space separate doesn't lure you away from home or lure yeah. you away from, yeah. from your partner. Yeah. But that your core values is the same, that you still... Okay. Yeah, and it's it's important also to make time. It's, it's time won't yeah. always be there yeah. for a relationship. Yeah. I yeah. mean, when we're, our kids were small, we had to sit out. We got babysitters in every Thursday night. That yeah. was our night. Whether yeah. we go out or stay in, but we had our time. It was just our time, un uninterrupted time. And that's important to make sure you have time that you spend together. It's easy to get so distracted and busy. Life makes you very busy, but you have to make time. Yeah, but it doesn't help to have time and you don't communicate. No. So communication is so important. It's yeah. vital. Your dad always said, yeah. and marriage is make or break by communication. Yeah, you have to communicate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One tends to assume very often in a relationship, you assume that one—that's what the one thinks, or what they mean, or what they're saying. But once you start to communicate, you say, ah, oh, that's not really the truth. So communication, very Vital. important. Still, yeah. still to this day, I yeah. mean, daily, weekly, we have to say, did you mean that? Did you mean that? Just be clear when you speak yeah. to me, because I think you said this, but then it was totally something else. Yeah, yeah. And have fun together. Oh, You have yeah. to have fun you together. Have to you, I mean, you have to do things that's just fun, just get out of your skin and just enjoy yeah. something together. Yeah. 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 Oh. What, I, what would really love you to do is just to tell me what you value about each other. Ooh. All right. <laughs> For him it will be easy because he's the poet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not always easy to speak. It's easy to write. It, yeah, to yeah, no, true. It, it's not e yeah. always easy. Um, I value in Anne her absolute steadfast focus. If she wants to do something, she'll put her mind on it and she'll get it done. She will, you know, if you, you've got a project and you tell Anne, this is what I want done, she'll get it done for you. She's good at that. She's really good. She's an amazing organizer. She's amazing compassion with people and she works well to establish things because she has compassion for people. She would establish uh, things, especially now with the COVID. I mean, the things she's done, um, she will never get all the recognition, but all the things she's done just behind the scenes often and just get things done so that people can have more. Um, yeah, I appreciate that, you know. I value Marius's kindness, his unconditional love. He really has a gentle, soft spirit. Um, his big smile, <laughs> his warmness. There's just something that attracts people to him. So he's 
I think he's sometimes the totally opposite of me, with the yin and the yang. So people feel so attracted to him because he's so warm and it makes them feel good. Whereas I'm focused, I know where I want to go. That's that's my thing. But in my heart, I'm really a very gentle softy. person. <laughs> a big <laughs> softy. <laughs> Real softy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you you got to balance it out. Mm. You've got to balance it out. You also find your partner and you find the strengths and weaknesses and, and mm. you realize where you have to step up because we can't be both the nice ones. And one has got to, I'm doing the money because he will give all his money away. So he, he will spend all his money on people and doing good things, but we know we've got a goal to achieve. So he's kind to give me that space to manage that. Mm. Yeah, so it's really focusing on one's strengths and to fill in in the weaknesses mm. where your partner doesn't have that. So yes, Maurice's loving heart and generosity and kindness and warmth yeah, that he has yeah. for other human beings. And he never sees the negative in other people. He's always very positive. Frustrates you. <laughs> <laughs> She's so passionate. When she's, you know, about something, she can tell you for hours and she would just go and she would have this drive because she's got this passion. You know, you can hear her talking. She's passionate. Oh, she, don't mm. get me going. <laughs> <laughs> so certain topics don't start because <laughs> yeah. she will not stop. But yeah. she's she's such a passionate person. Yeah, and I must add, you know, I had COVID-19, um, suspected COVID-19, and it, it, was, it was quite hectic, so... I had to self-isolate in the room because Mark had to go out to care homes and things like that. So we couldn't afford him to get ill. And um, the way he cared for me, so we had the door closed, we had the plastic in front of the door and he would push the meals through and he would come in with his hands sometimes and just just check on me and take the things and quickly go out and not touch anything and go and wash his hands. And, and it was for 60 days that I was locked up in a room basically. And just the way he cared for me all the time, we never had to rely on it. We didn't have to rely on anybody else. No. And he gave me the space just to be because it is not something I wish upon anyone to have that mild constant fever and all those symptoms and the backlashes and the brain, brain fuzziness and things that goes on with you and the mood swings and all those bad things that happens to you and the... You can think the mental health and all that. And he was just a stable, stable one, keeping the compass straight. We'll get through this. We'll get through this. So, yeah, it's those kind of strong things that you say thank you for a partner like this. And um, I'm going to ask you something as well now, which is... Um, I, think, I think you've actually told like a really brilliant, succinct story... But I want to ask you now, so I, I'm one of the reason, other reasons I'm doing this project is I'm single, I've been single for ages. And I want, to, I'm also looking at this project as a bit of a discovery of right. what the secrets are. And um, okay. it's been fascinating actually. And so if you were going to give me some, me some advice, what do you think that would be? To find a partner. Um, I think the most important thing is one, be yourself. Um, just be yourself. One tends to 
thinking for myself, when you try and find a partner, I'm just thinking about the girls I went out with, you're trying to be someone or you try to impress the other person and um, it often doesn't work out. I could be myself with her. And that was one of the things I think that was key. If you can just be yourself. Don't expect, we've got all a picture of the perfect partner. And that often keeps us from meeting the right one because our picture of the perfect partner is not always the true picture. Um, on looks, she's not my perfect partner. <laughs> no, it's, if, if I, you know, the way I looked at my, but like I told you, I, I went and I put down a list of the what I want in a partner and that was not looks I had a look at you know what sort of personality what do I want and she ticked every box because I wasn't looking at the exterior I was looking at qualities at uh, personality characteristics um, and then I saw the light but if I looked at looks then or am I in love it would never probably mm. have happened yeah yeah, I think the biggest deception is the falling in love thing. I don't know. No, it's important. But, you know, it, it doesn't have to come first. Yeah, yeah, that's what I want to say. It's not love at first sight. Yeah. So my advice, well, we've got two children. The one um, has never had a boyfriend in her life before. She's turning 28 in October she's got this picture of who and what she wants. She said when she heard we in Wales, she said, oh, what a rugby player. <laughs> Get me one of those rugby players. Yeah. But the big thing is that I keep on reminding her is go and do things. You have to have shared interests. Mm. That is very important. Go to clubs, go to places where you can share a book, where you can do poetry, where you can do music together, where you can do wine tasting together. Share some interest, really interest. Um so that's, and doing things together, you learn the other person's strengths and you can build a relationship mm. on based on that because we all have weaknesses. But is that the strength that you would like? Is that compatible for you? Is that what can work for you? Is that what you want? Yeah. 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 But, and it, yeah, it, in yeah. any relationship, any married couple can tell you, you know, that initial passion it fades and then what sustains you there must be a foundation that foundation must be like she said mutual interest you must have yeah. a friendship if you can't be friends with that person what will you talk about yeah i mean you must be able to talk yeah at length yeah very important yeah, yeah. so we go would talk uh, for hours <laughs> for hours <laughs> we would fix the world <laughs> yeah 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 but but Good advice from her. Go out to mutual interest things yeah. like clubs. Yeah, not yeah, like book clubs and poetry clubs and music clubs and things like that. Yeah. 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 For some people, it's easy. For some yeah. people, not. I don't know why my daughter hasn't found anybody yet. The other one's so easy. The other one, I told you, my our other child, our eldest, is transgender, and. Uh, it happened while we were here, uh, so beyond turning... Two years now, yeah. It's two years. Um, born a girl, 
and phasing into, well, is now a, a man. And we're so proud of Bjorn. And that was a matter of support. You know, again, it's a human being. It's somebody you've known as a little child and as a young adult. And then you see this beautiful new person. It's like a different butterfly that's evolved out of this and the confidence in that. And Bjorn found a partner quickly. It's, yeah. Yeah. Not difficult, don't have to go on apps, Tinder apps and all those things. Whereas Zaza has tried everything. <laughs> she said, I tried this. Can't work here. Yeah. yeah. A very big thank you to Anne and Marius for sharing their love story with us and absolutely what a fantastic way to begin a relationship with your best friend, the person who knows everything about you and accepts you for exactly who you are. And as Maria says, you know, after the initial passion in a relationship has faded, what sustains it? It is that deeper connection that you have with somebody and what better way to get that than from somebody who's your best friend with the shared values and beliefs that you have. And um, I, I found it so interesting listening to them both talk about the financial hardship they've had, about budgeting, about going to supermarkets and getting that markdown food and sometimes foregoing eating themselves just so that the other person could have something to eat. I mean, that is a big sacrifice. It's so selfless. And it's just, yeah, that was incredible listening to that. And also, I think, you know, a lot of people do break up over financial problems and debt and issues that they have, bad spending habits and things. And so it's really good that they've worked out how they're going to spend the little money that they, you know, had at the time. And um, and that was because of Anne's meticulous planning. But, um, you know, even though they didn't have very much, they didn't complain about it. They were like, just, well, this is a situation that we're in now. It's not forever, but we're in it now. So we just have to kind of just get on with it. And by them finding free things to do and free activities, it enabled them to keep on enjoying life despite not having much money at first. So I personally found that very inspiring, you know. It's always important to remember that, you know, the good times... They don't last for long, but the bad times don't last long either, you hope. And, you know, just really trying to uh, embrace. I think that's what they did. They embraced all of that, the good with the bad and everything else in between. Um, now, this concept of loving someone in spite of and not because of, I think that's really interesting as well, because that comes down to acceptance of people and you know their good habits their bad habits and you know sometimes people say in relationships you know I will love you if you do this or behave in this particular way and you know that's not love that's just being transactional that's you know an exchange and yeah it, it occurred to me afterwards as well that I didn't ask Mark what was on that list so I asked him to send me the list and this is what was on it at the top of it it said um what I want in a life partner and here's a list so we must connect we must be good friends we must be able to talk she must get me have a good sense of humor be warm and generous intelligent in brackets not needy be organized love God love the arts and music and love the outdoors love animals 
be stylish, not too girly and not too helpless. So it's really interesting that these are all qualities. They're not, you know, there's nothing very prescriptive on here apart from the qualities that he was looking for, which he luckily found in Nan. So that's what I think anyway, but it'd be great to hear what you guys at home think. So please feel free to email me at wefoundloveinthe80s at gmail.com with any thoughts, comments, criticisms or ideas for the podcast or maybe you've got your own story to share about finding love in the 80s. Next week, you're going to hear from Jitka and Mark. They were both visiting Prague in the 80s. Jitka was from well, the then Czechoslovakia, which is now Czech Republic, and Mark was visiting from the UK. They were both students exploring the city independently and definitely not looking for love. I mean, this is such a romantic story. Please don't miss this one. Jitka describes it as being magical, and they talk about... The long distance love and persevering with their relationship from a distance despite the difficulties and even the danger that they faced as civilians during the Cold War. This is such a romantic story so please, please, please do tune in next week. I am Dwinda Bansell and this has been We Found Love in the 80s. See you next time. <laughs>